0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Today, we will be taught three lessons from the ancient church, which was at Smyrna. The two words, "no" and Lord, cannot coexist. Jesus is Lord of all including Lord of Our Suffering. And now what is his message for today is Pastor Robert Elliott.
1: Revelation chapter two, verses eight to 11. Please turn there in your Bibles. Revelation chapter two, verses eight through 11. Let us hear the word of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. In verse 8, the Lord Jesus Christ, risen and glorified, calls himself the first and the last. Further, he calls himself the one who was dead and the one who has come to life. As it were, it's like every point on a compass is who Jesus is. He's the first, he's also the last and everything in between. He was dead, and now he is alive forevermore. He's everything between the grave and the eternal state of heaven. As it were, he is marking off four corners to say that I am everything. Jesus says, I am everything. It all comes back to me. In your outlines, you see, you see two words, know and Lord. No and Lord. These two words can't exist together. If Jesus Christ is Lord of your life or mine, he is Lord and I don't have the right to say no to him. If he is the Lord of your lives, you do not have the right to say no to him either. If on the other hand, we're going to dig our heels in and say, no, I am gonna say no to him then you can't say in the same breath, he's my Lord. If he's your Lord, you don't say no to him. If you say no to him, he is not your Lord. It's that simple. Jesus Christ then is the Lord of the first. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the last. Jesus Christ is Lord of death. Jesus Christ is Lord of resurrection, eternal life. That means, when those boundaries are marked off to say he is Lord of all those things, it's saying that in the middle of that box, if you picture it as a box, that Jesus Christ is Lord of suffering. We don't like to hear that. But if Jesus Christ is the Lord of those four things that he says he is, then he must be the Lord of our suffering. He must have a purpose in the sufferings we endure. That's good theology. We don't know the future, but if we know Christ, we know the one who holds our future in his nail-scarred hand. Maybe you're facing suffering today. Suffering that you didn't anticipate. Suffering that you don't like. Suffering that you'd give about anything to get rid of. Know that Jesus Christ is Lord of that suffering. Jesus Christ is the one who can use that suffering and intends to use that suffering to make us more to be like Jesus himself. The suffering is some of the best times when God can chip off of me everything that doesn't look like Christ. And so it is with you. So although we don't know the future, we know the one who holds our futures. And look what he said while we reread 8 through part 10. And to the angel in the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life again says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. So although they were already suffering when this vision came for them to hear about, Jesus said, they're going to suffer more. They're going to be persecuted more than they've already been persecuted. He's warning them. But he says to them, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And what were they about to suffer? More persecution for their faith. They were about to suffer more intensified persecution for their faith. We know some things about the ancient city of Smyrna. It was a wealthy and a prosperous city. It had a busy seaport. It was considered the most beautiful city in all of ancient Asia. It was called the crown jewel of Asia. Smyrna was a leading center for science and medicine. And Smyrna always positioned itself to be on the winning side because Smyrna always sided with Rome. Smyrna had a strong emperor worship cult. They allowed and promoted the people of the city to actually worship the Roman emperor as if he were God. Smyrna had a population near 100,000 when this vision came for the church in Smyrna to know about. Yet within this wealthy, attractive, sophisticated, prosperous city called Smyrna, there was a group of called out Christ followers. There was a little band of believers in Jesus Christ. Have you noticed still today that Jesus Christ has his people everywhere? He does. He has you where he wants you to have to be, to represent him, to speak up for him, to live for him, to show off his grace. And so it was back then in Smyrna, this city that had sold out to Rome financially and militarily, intellectually, and even religiously. In that city, God had his small band of believers. And they were known. They were known by the citizens of the city. Many of those citizens just chalked them up to being misfits, runts of the intellectual litter. All of the citizens of Smyrna Understood that this little band of believers were afflicted and that they were extremely poor. Verse 9 again I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews, but are of a, a synagogue of Satan. The people of Smyrna mocked this little band of believers. Saw that they were afflicted, saw that they were poor materially, and they didn't care. They were just as happy that they were. That throws in the face of what we see on television often today evangelicals who say that God wants you to just name and claim the things you think you deserve because you are belonging to Jesus. Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a vacation home on the Mediterranean. If you just have enough faith, if you just name those material blessings that you would like, if you have enough faith, then Jesus is obliged to give you those comforts, those assets. <laughs> Wasn't that way in Smyrna. Others will teach that the true theology and understanding of why Jesus Christ came was not to deliver anybody from sin, but to deliver people from injustice and oppression. A liberation theology that the real thing that Jesus accomplished with his life and death was setting downtrodden people free so they could have equity in their societies. Jesus did not have equity on earth in the society when he was here. His trial was a breach of law, illegal trials, crucified and executed when the prosecutor said there's nothing wrong in the man morally, ethically, or legally. The Lord's ourself knew all about suffering and deprivation he was homeless for the three and a half years of his public ministry.
0: Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Today we want to talk about, in First Peter, how God has called us to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And as we think about this, many people will quote this passage and say this verse, but we need to recognize, as this is talking to us as born-again believers, that we need to understand that As a born-again believer, we are a chosen race. And I want to just read these two verses for us as we look at this morning. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we see in this particular passage, and as you think as a young Christian or a young believer, we need to understand something here. This is given us a contrast of what we used to be to what we should be now. It talks about how we are now a chosen race. We are now a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And when we think of holy there, we got to understand that this is talking about us being set apart from the world, that we ought to be different than the world, that we ought to be entangled. And we see here as the verse, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. This passage is telling us as, as a born again believer that we once used to walk in darkness. As we consider, as we think in our culture, as we think in our country, we all know that the summer is here. We know that there are times when our power goes out and we know that there may be load and things going on. And we know that in the night, when darkness hits, when the power goes out and it's dark, there's no light. Everything is out. It's pitch black. But as we sit and think, if we bring a light or any type of lamp or whatever it may be, we have light now. And this is what he's trying to tell us in this particular passage Peter's talking about, that we once was in darkness. We once lived in darkness. We once lived the cost of this world. We once did... What the world and had to offer, we we identified with the world. But now as a born again believer, as this new royal priesthood, we are into the marvelous light. We are a representation of Christ. We are to walk in a marvelous light. And verse ten continues, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. When we consider that verse and we think about what it is saying there's that basically we identify with no one at one time. But now, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we identify with Christ. And what a better person to identify with as we consider our lives, as we consider giving up things, being sanctified, being holy, being right, being royal. When we consider being a God's child, we need to understand that this is what this is saying for us as, as a believer, as a, a young person listening this morning, that... God has called you for a purpose, and he has called you, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he has called you to be a light in a dark world. And when we consider that, that we are to be a light in a dark world, like I said, as we can consider, light and darkness doesn't mix. You know, there are many people who will try to tell you different things, and there are many people, as we think of some relationships, where they will tell you, especially young ladies, that you consider um, finding a husband to marry Well, you may say to yourself, well, I will change this young man or I will change him. Let me just tell you something. You can't change anyone. God has to change that person. As we know, there are many people in our society today that, that have gotten into marriages because, you know, the guy said he was this way. But as they got married, he was a completely different person. When we consider this and we think about as Peter is telling us that we once was a people that wanted nothing to do with God and now we have this relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to understand that we are called to a higher purpose in life. We are called to represent Christ and to be, we are God's people. You know, you you may understand as we think about this passage, you may look at Israel and think about how Israel was God's chosen race. But now God is saying, look, you are my race because you have relationship with me. You are the one who I am. I am for, I am with We are those people that are his representation, that one day we have a future hope that we look forward to seeing. And the passage continues, and and, and I don't think we have time this morning, and we will look at this in our next episode, but it talks about how we were created for good works. Not that good works gets us saved, but good works are a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Good works are something that comes because we are God's chosen race. We are God's people. And I would challenge you this morning, as you are listening to this broadcast, that to ask yourself, as a believer, am I trying to mix my life in darkness? Am I trying to have one foot in God's kingdom and one foot out and try to live a a life that is pleasing to both people? There's no way of pleasing the world and pleasing God. There's no way of trying to identify with both people. Although we have many people who come in today, even in the church scene, who may even be preaching the word of God or in choirs or whatever to try to live two lives. But let's be real. People know the truth. People can see a phony. People can see through the mask what we have because people can see exactly who we are by our actions. And I would challenge you this morning, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ and that you are not a part of this people, God's people, that you would put your faith and trust in Christ because he wants our relationship with you. And I want to just challenge you, you know, ask yourself, what am I doing for God? How can I be a better servant for God this summer? Again, this is Pastor Nicholas, and I want to just also give you a reminder here at Calvary Bible Church as we have an ignition program that, our youth program that goes on on Friday nights, even during the summer from 7 o'clock to 9.30. If you need more details, you can call Pastor Nicholas here at Calvary Bible Church at
0: 326-0800. And now... Today's Ministry Spotlight.
1: Good morning, listeners. This morning, I'm in the radio studio with my friend, Dr. Marlene Heiler. Good morning.
3: Good morning.
1: Dr. Heiler is a professional counselor and the co-founder of the New Providence Classical School. She's also served with Campus Crusade for Christ in the U.S. and now is making her home here in beautiful Nassau. This morning, we want to talk a bit about starting or maintaining mm-hmm. A personal ministry of comfort to others. I drafted these questions because you have such a ministry. (laughs) You have a ministry of comfort to other people. And um, Beth and I have certainly uh, benefited and continue to do so. And I thought it would be useful, (laughs) instructive, challenging, uh, motivating, equipping, if our listeners could get a window into what God has gifted you to do and given you a desire to do by way of comforting other people. And so let's get started. Um, what would you say is a personal ministry of comfort to others?
3: You know, I'm only doing this because I love you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that shows that you love me and Beth and our kids.
3: Because normally I would do this in secret, but, but I'm, I'm learning that we need to share some things because other people learn. This would be a ministry that is sensitive to the needs, and especially the unmet needs in a congregation or in a community. Does that make sense?
1: That's a very succinct answer, but boy, let's unpack that. There's a lot there. So for you to be sensitive or anyone to be sensitive to the needs in a church congregation or in a community, Yellow Elder, um, Palmdale, whatever the case might be, Bainstown. Uh, We have to know the persons within those groups to some extent.
3: Right. You have to be observant. You have to get an inroad. So that is right. You have to know the person. So if you don't know the person or and I have friends who've done this for people they don't know and I've done it for people I don't know. The Lord just laid it on your heart. So you have to find someone who has an inroad. For instance, Josh McDowell I remember I was in the States when he was here in the Bahamas. So you hear, uh, I think it was a church that brought Josh McDowell to town. You know he's coming to town. So you Google, you learn about who he is, his family life. And if the Lord has impressed it on your heart, you find out who. And so I had to do this from the States. What I knew, the person who was was one of his assistants, she discipled me. What does Josh like? What are his favorite things? And she gave me that information. So if you don't you don't know someone in Baintown, you find out from someone who lives in Baintown what are the needs? What can I do to bless the people of Baintown? And so it takes plan, it takes prayer, it takes saying yes to the Lord, it takes a risk because you can go out of your way to write the note, deliver the meal, or whatever it is that you give to bless the people, and they can. They can take it and don't say thanks. Sure. Or they may insult you and still take it. But you, it's a risk. Loving people is a risk.
1: Absolutely. Sure is. Because it involves giving and, and being transparent and, and spending money, time, and energy. And not everybody uh, accepts that love or those gifts.
3: Sometimes it's just that they don't know what to do with unconditional love. So it isn't that they mean to be mean. They it, it, they're just flirt. I've been told, like, no one's ever said that to me before. No one's ever done that for me before. So sometimes they just don't know how to respond.
1: That's the truth. Um, The other thing I thought about was that um, part of having a personal ministry of comfort to others has a a mindset that um, it isn't anyone else's responsibility, but I'm going to take responsibility for that. So I see, you know, Mrs. McGillicuddy uh, needing money to get uniforms Mm -hmm. for her children for government school, well, it may involve not going to the benevolence fund of the church, although that is acceptable. But if it's laid on your heart that you reach into your wallet and give Mrs. McGillicuddy uh, 50 bucks.
3: Exactly. And
1: say your kids need school uniforms.
3: I have a friend who says, you know, if the Lord's impressed it on your heart more than once, and he keeps bringing it to mind, he keeps bringing it to mind. It's something he wants you to do about it.
1: Very good. That happened to me just this week. Procedurally, I needed to not help someone who came to the church. We have some certain procedures and I couldn't drop it in my heart. And so um, I walked away from the person and that person was leaving the church campus and crossing Collins Avenue and I had to run after them. And say, "Excuse me, come back." Exactly. And so you have to be um, obedient to the God's leading. So, a personal ministry of comfort to others. Um, why would you say that such a ministry is needed?
3: Because people need love. It's it's a human need. You need to have belo- you need belonging to survive. If a baby is born and the baby's not held enough and not connected to a person the baby dies Mm. and so you have people even here in the Bahamas who volunteer who go to the hospital to hold babies Mm. people need to be loved and also the scripture says on earth as it is in heaven so we know that God loves us and sometimes well not sometimes we are his hands yeah we are his mouthpiece we are his feet so we are his extension we are his personification to the world and so he wants to bring something from heaven down to earth, and he uses people.
1: Absolutely. When you look at what he did in the Old Testament time, what he did in the New Testament time, he, most often he used a person. He he didn't send a committee. He no. didn't send a, an agency. He sent a person A person who made a difference.
3: And he's called all of us to love one another. Yes, he is. And has. he's ca- called all of us to carry the burden that a person cannot carry. Sometimes you're so wounded or so weak, you can't lift the knapsack. You can't carry it all yourself. And so you need the body of Christ to come alongside to help you until you can get strong enough, until your marriage can get strong enough, or your ministry or your organization can get strong enough to fly by itself.
1: That is so true, Marlene. Okay, a listener's there this morning and (laughs) smiling and thinking, this sounds really good. This sounds biblical. This sounds like um, something that I would be open to or ought to be open to doing. So uh, what would you encourage that particular listener who said, "I never thought of a personal ministry of comfort to others. I'm liking what Dr. Heiler is telling me about it in her own life and the need for it. Where, where would you tell how would you tell that person to start?
3: Well, you can start with pen and paper. Oh because my life is, birth in this school is taken longer than I thought, and so I'm not as freed up as I would like to be in terms of my church, so I try to keep stationary uh, in the back of my Bible, and I don't know who's gonna sit on the side of me at church, and so you can write notes, and just simply, and even if you don't know the person's name, you can say, dear one, beloved of God, you know, person whom Jesus loves, and you can make it very generic, and it can be, I pray that God gives you reminders of how much he loves you today. And Whoa. So it can just be a note, and after that, you write really quick. And so while you've already put your offering in, you can write the note in church. And when it's time to leave, you pass it to the person.
1: Wow, that sounds practical to me. That's
3: just, you know, so just you can start with pen stationery and paper. Just in your Bible, your Bible, have a pen. And write a note. And be alert. Exactly. I like I've that. I've done that before for a pastor, and when Dr. Jeremiah got up there, he may me a note, and it could be a verse of scripture, sir, we would see Jesus. So, so it could be pen and paper. And some other practical ways is um, when you shop or you see a sale, you can buy two. You know, it's two for the price of one. So you, it can start with a drawer. You can have a drawer in your house where you have gifts, stationery, gift bags, a bowl. And a guy can do this. This doesn't have to just be a female ministry. And so you have a drawer in your house. And for some people, it's a whole shelf. For, for these famous authors, this is interesting book companies send them books. So they have extra books. So if you babysit the kids, they may give you a book or or they may have books. And if you are at a famous person's house and they have four copies of a certain book, they may give you a copy or you can buy a book. And so it can start with a drawer. Then it can be a shelf. And some people, they may have a whole room. And, you know, in Scripture, there was a woman who had a whole room for the prophet. Yes. And there's some families who have a prophet chamber. It's a whole room. When the man of God or woman of God comes to town, they're welcome to stay in their house.
1: So. That is so great. You have a, a ministry, a personal ministry of comfort, and you're humble. You wouldn't raise this, <laughs> but um, something happened to you because of your track record and you're being come known around your community of being that kind of a, a woman that there were some uh, construction workers working on the road in front of your house. Oh, <laughs> what ha- tell the people what happened.
3: I, you know, I think this was the Holy Spirit because they wouldn't have known it was me. We got a knock on the door one day. I tell people at church, no, I live at the Red Cross or the Salvation Army. <laughs> My house is a safe place for people. So we got a knock on the door one day. And you know, the workers who work on the street, you know, they're cleaning the trash. This must have been around Christmas time or Easter or someone's birthday. They were having a party. So, they brought the diff- this person brought the macaroni, this one bought the peas and rice, this person brought the chicken, but they didn't have serving utensils. Mm-hmm. And they may have bought the plastic fork and knives, but they didn't have serving utensils. So I had a knock on the door one day and they asked us if they can please borrow some serving utensils. So that's one <laughs> of the strangest requests. Or someone knocked on the door for gas money. Stranger. Their- stranger. They knocked on the door for wow, gas that, money. Wow,
1: that, that is a great reputation to have to God's glory that you are a place that We'll try to help if you can. Just before we move off the serving spoon story, <laughs> I want our listeners to know the kind of serving spoon you gave them. Do you remember what you told me? I can't remember. It wasn't remember. plastic.
3: No, it wasn't plastic. Tell,
1: me, tell the listeners what you gave.
3: It was an actual spoon because I tried to, you know, Philippians 2 talks about esteeming others higher than ourselves. And so... And this has got me into trouble with some of those celebrities, because uh, at least thank God they're humble. I, treat, I would treat the prime minister the way I treat a homeless person, because the scripture says I am to esteem this person. And so I'm learning how to be better at celebrating the leader for his position. But I tend to treat everybody like I would. I want to be treated because that's what the scripture says, or as if they were Jesus Christ. So no, I don't give the worst. I've learned that over the years. And
1: you gave utensils that you didn't necessarily want to lose, but you were prepared to lose them if you needed
3: to. Exactly. I
0: like that. That's that's so good. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.